there's these collective moments that happen when you're out and you're dancing that everybody at the same time understands one thing, right? And they celebrate in that. There is a collective moments that happen when people are all together celebrating for a cause where everyone clicks in that, yeah, this is the direction we're going in. And that's a good feeling that that only happens when people are dancing and together. Hey, this is Peter Marks. Welcome to Rhythm Nation, a podcast that explores the intersection of activism and music. Today, I have a great guest, but first I want to get across a message and a special update about Rhythm Nation. During the pandemic, we learned just how much more joyful and effortless it is to do things as a group. Activism is no different. We all know we're facing existential threats in our healthcare, climate, economy, and democracy. However, with everything else going on in our lives, it's overwhelming to fathom how we alone can make a difference. But activism can be fun and joyful if you fit it into your community and lifestyle. Today, I'm really excited to announce that Rhythm Nation has launched as a nonprofit organization that is designed to do just that. Members will vote on issues and candidates to endorse, as well as how the organization is run. There is no partisan or ideology alliance other than standing up for the interests of working people and other historically marginalized groups of people. We aim to make activism fun and accessible by integrating it into communal music experiences. There will be events that appeal to young people in Portland, like this weekend's Medicare for All party at Produce Row, as well as events for communities in other parts of the state, like the rural Oregon coast. Together, we'll figure out the formula to build political power through music and grow Rhythm Nation into a national movement. Being a member is an easy way to make a difference, and all we ask is that you attend one meeting a month, either in person or remotely. If you can't make the meeting, we just ask that you listen to the recording. We also ask that members pay $10 a month in dues, which help fund our events and organizing efforts. No one's getting a salary off these dues or anything like that, but they do help support member-driven events, and you'll get discounts to them. So... On today's show, we have Dina Barnwell, who is a DJ and stalwart purveyor of great music in the ever-changing Portland music scene. She worked at local community radio station KBU 90.7 as the station's urban music director from 1998 to 2018, almost 20 years stint at a really important period at this really crucial community-driven radio station. And on the show, we talk about uh, her story of what brought her to to hip hop as a black woman and what she saw in, in that music, and how it's been working as a woman in the music industry, and what what she's learned uh, through radio and the kinds of community oriented projects that she involves herself in, which includes Rhythm Nation. Well, Dina, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate you making time for this. It's been awesome to get to know you through playing Rhythm Nation gigs, and I'm excited to hear more about your story. Well, thanks for inviting me, Peter. And yeah, this is going to be cool. So what what started first for you, an in, in interest in activism or an interest in music? So I think it sort of happened all at the same time, for me anyway. I think when you're looking at um black music in itself it always has a message which in within the message so my mom was highly and you know she 
I can back it up. I mean, I, one of the first houses that I lived in as a youth or as a child, we came under fire for being one of the first black, you know, families in the neighborhood. So our house was egged all the time, right? Where was uh, this? Uh, this was probably the mid seventies. Okay. Like I was literally a baby. I was like two or three years old. So my sister, my sister tells me the story. She's three years older than me. Gotcha. Is this in the Portland area or where was this? No, this was in Columbus, Ohio. Oh, okay. Okay. So also, you know, my mom, my, my dad, uh, he was one of the first employees for the state of Ohio. So, you know, he went through like not being able to have lunch with folks because his Afro was too, you know, too much. And so he had a segregated lunch as one of the first black employees where he sat by himself. Um, so, I mean, when you're talking about, I can't, I don't have the luxury of being able to not know about racism and be allowed to fall into it. It's something that's just a part of my life. I can see how that would be sort of inescapable in that situation. Were your parents also into music? Were they a source well, of musical inspiration? Always, like, my mom was, uh, she loved music. It was an escape for her. And so she always listened to a lot of like, uh, you know, Earth, Wind and Fire she was really into. She was really into Denise Williams. So I can remember hearing all of that music, um, but I didn't make a correlation between um social justice work and music until I really got into hip hop. What were some of the first hip hop records you got into? Well, when I first got into hip hop, it was really a lot of this, you know, a lot of the um, music of, so hip hop had, you know, like hip hop sort of has this um, fluctuation. So then you have the message that first came out that really sort of, it was a, a point upon like what was going on as far as the social um, fat structure of like how things were going and, you know, looking at social justice. But then you had sort of a lull and it really became kind of spread out into its own as diversified. And that's when you had everyone like, you know, uh, run DMC and, and folks like that. And you notice because you are a part of, black culture, you are black, you are experiencing these things, these things. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't like those things skipped me and I never experienced them. It's like everyone did. And so when you're listening to hip hop music, it makes a point upon it, right? Because a lot of black music is about the amplification of black folks, you know, noticing about the disparities among black folks, right? So when you're talking about social justice, you, there's a lot of diversity inside of that one word, right? That you're like, well, what are we talking about here? So when I'm talking about the first time that I was introduced to, to hip hop, it was more of a, yeah, the message was there because I was living that life. But for me, I was a youth. So it was more like I wanted, I loved like, you know, like NWA coming out and you know, all that stuff. That was like, for me, it was like, okay, now they're really telling what's on the street. Now they're really seeing what's going on, right? So that was one of the ones that kind of caught me up. But it also was a sort of newspaper for the culture. So 
I went from being being able to go to skating rinks and listen to like Kwame and you know Slick Rick and Big Daddy Kane that really you know like if you got onto their if you were listening to their records and you were listening to the entire record then yeah you were getting those messages but you know you're it's middle school holidays I'm at the skating rink with my cousin I'm listening to you know, dance music. I'm listening to music to get me hype. I'm not going home and listening to music and saying, well, I need to address social justice. So I'm going to listen to this, that, and the third. No. So for me, the earlier parts of, of that music was to dance. But then when NWA came in, it was not only telling you what was going on in the street, but it was an actual report card. So the scene at the skating rink changed. So instead of like a lot of dancing and polka dots, it was people, you know, bashing in windows and beating each other up and gangs were forming. And so for me, I kind of got out of it because that wasn't my scene at all. Were you in high school at the time? Um, I was in like middle school, early high school. Right. And so I got to approach it again when this sort of renaissance happened in hip hop. And um, like I was saying, there's the diversity inside of social justice. So when you're looking at the approaches of social justice, like Martin Luther King versus Malcolm X, they're different theologies and and ideologies and ideologies. I think I'm saying that right. Ideologies, sorry. About there's ideology about where we are starting from. So you have Martin Luther King that was starting from a you know, ideology of no peace, of no um, violence, right? Nonviolence. Um, and then that sort of switched, switch, you know, the paradigm, the paradigm swung. And then you had um, Malcolm X, who was like, nah, like we are responsible. There's a, there's a responsibility to be able to arm ourselves, to be able to fight, to be able to, right? And so that sort of paradigm shifted again. And so that's what we talk like for me um, when the Renaissance happened, the paradigm sort of shifted between like, you know, fuck the police to like, we're black, beautiful people. Africa is our homeland. Let's learn more about Africa. Let's break down social structures. Let's break down what discrimination really means. So I think there was an intellect and there was a critical theory or critical thoughts that were applied to the approach. And so that's what, you know, attracted me back to hip hop. So you mentioned NWA, you mentioned fuck the police, of course, a big, big song from them. Who are some of the artists you mentioned that the Renaissance of of hip hop that had that more maybe unifying positive vision of what it meant to be black. And let me just be clear that I'm not going to put a qualifier on that. Like one, one was positive and one was not. For me, the positivity, and I, I want to say this because you have a white audience. And so Please. I don't want to put these, you know what I mean? I don't want to put these hard liars in because for me, I'm coming from a place where I had relatives that were selling drugs. So I saw what crack was doing to the neighborhoods. So for me, it was more of an escape to be able to look at something else and say, look, I get it, but this is really heavy. And this is really, this is, this is hard shit. Let me, let me, you know, and then you can, for me, I, I could, I could shuttle away from that. I could go into industrial music. What was happening in the indie rock, right? 
I had a whole, you know, um, my musical, um, I guess it had just sort of opened up from that point. But um, for me, it wasn't the, it wasn't a positivity thing. It was more of a, like, I was actually living that life. So when you're talking about people like, you know, seeing people get beat up because of drugs, seeing cops like kick in doors, I, I'm living that. So for me, it was an escapism to go into that full renaissance of what was going on. And those were like Tribe Called Quest, De La Soul, uh, um, Diggable Planets, right? And then out West, you know, you had Dr. Dre was coming out, Snoop Dogg was coming out. So it was a whole nother, um, not only not only was it a different message, but it was also just a different beat structure. The cadence had changed. You know, it was the, it was hip hop, like literally changing. Going into the musical parts of it, my impression of a lot of early hip hop is that it was very electro inspired. Like a lot of the beats structures were electro, whereas a lot of like, the, you mentioned the, the this 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 era, you know, De La Soul, Snoop Dogg, Dr. Dre, is, is, to me, like that sounds a lot more funk, uh, disco inspired kind of music than like the electro stuff of the the eighties. Is that correct? Is that how you think about like the I musical mean, you're differences? Completely, you're completely you're completely correct that it's a call and response thing at all times. And I mean, when you look at the components of hip hop, hip hop is literally taking samples from music. So it's whatever music was was um, really like driving dance culture because the connection was dancing because that's one of the elements of, of hip hop was creating this dance style, which was called b-boying. So yes, I mean, like when you look at the first, you know, um, the first recordings of hip hop, uh, they used everything. It was mostly disco and electro influence because that's what was going on at the time in the early 80s and 70s. So, of course, they were taking those records, but they were also, you know, and so that's that's what happened. Like when you get to the 90s, they're now digging back. They're going back to the 60s and to the 50s. And I mean, one can say like it's a recycled sound. So every... I guess new generation of producers or people who are making the hip hop songs, they either go further back in history, right? Or they'll revisit some popular time and just reuse that beat. So yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of the backbones or the blueprint of how hip hop music develops. So tell me about the journey from you're in high school, middle school, getting to this music to like the late nineties where you start, you know, working in radio and urban music. Like what was that journey like? Well, I mean, for me, when I got here, I honestly was not, um, I didn't come here for hip hop music. Uh, specifically I came here because there was a really weird like tape, like indie rock scene that was going on where they were just using uh, cut and paste, uh, which I was really into and so particularly K Records was just doing this really um, um, awesome sound. Uh, and I came here for that. And so once I got here, I started working at K-Boop. What I noticed is that they didn't really have the music from the Midwest, which was a lot of the East Coast rap and 
you know, just weird stuff in between. So my first shows were really like punk. It was really what I, you know, I hung out with a lot of the, you know, in the subculture skateboard crew. So at the time that I left, so a lot of the stuff was like, you know, like hardcore or indie rock. And then I'd play like, you know, uh, you know, she keeps on the far side or I'd play, you know, diggable planets or I would play tribe or, you know, I would, I was along those lines. And then as I was going on, you know, Portland was a much smaller place. So I'm meeting these other folks and music is changing again. Hip hop is changing again. And, you know, instead of being the focus on the rapper and this and the dancer, now the focus is on the producer. Now the focus is on his counterpart, the DJ and what the DJ can do. So that's when you start hearing about cut Kimis, DJ shadows coming up. Now people are using turntables to scratch the executioners. You know, there's a focus that's on the DJ. And at the time, since my whole thing was music, I'm meeting people and we're gravitating towards this. So we're starting to get into like more of a, you know, the, the, um, what are you, I don't even know what to call that because. It's not uh, it's not rap music, but it was hip hop music at that point because it was instrumental and it was really just cut and paste. And so I kind of got into that and then I got into DJ Cruz and DJing and just all of the things behind that. But at the same time, I'm in a really male influenced uh, environment. So I had to take little bits with me just so that I can sort of have these mantras to deal with it, you know, you know, like getting up on, on to play records and having someone, you know, look at you and see that you're a woman and figure that you need help with your sound or, you know, um, are, you know, not realizing that I am the person that's the lead in this situation, you know, not your homeboy that you came with. So um, for me, it was like a lot of playing, music that spoke to me. And so that was like the revolution by Sarah Jones, which is like really like the revolution will not happen between these thighs. Like I'm not sitting behind you. I'm with you on this. Like I'm an independent autonomous soul too. I, you know, I have the value in standing alone and not standing in a partnership with a man. So that really stood out to me. And at the same time, my, my goal was to diversify or to add hip hop into the lexicon of the culture of Kebu. So for me, there was, oh, hip hop's over here. It's this thing that they do. It's sort of scary because we don't have that much information about it. So what I started doing was doing these um, workshops with the programming committee who were, you know, basically older white folks. And I was you know, really challenging them to um, look at hip hop and apply critical thought. If you love Charles Baudelaire, if you love how crazy Charles Bukowski is, why not, you know, old dirty bastard? How is he different? I could say that would be an appropriate metaphor to get through to folks is uh, to help them get past the very different, like, musical aesthetic that a lot of these rappers have and just, just go straight to the content and talk about. Exactly. Their, yeah. Talk about the thought. Yeah. And so I had a particular person there and he had asked me one time, just like, 
yeah, well, I, I heard sugar. And doesn't that mean cocaine? And I'm just like, no, <laughs> it might mean give me a kiss, give me some sugar. But, you know, and I mean, that really spoke to me about just where people, you know, I am right. I know that certain slang and that's, and that was a part of like who we were as, you know, Americans too. So you could get on the news can tell you this is slang for this, that, and the third. And then the person who's hearing that and just doesn't know that there is diversity in the actual slang that they might not know is now like, no. And, and you're, you're telling us that this is cool. And I'm like, no. And, and if you're not really wanting to take the time to understand or to talk to me about it, then you just really want to be racist. Like that's where you're at. And I had no problem like calling folks out period, you know? Um, and he was, he started sending my music to the FCC. He started sending uh, my weekly tapes to the FCC. And so um, they got in touch with us and they were like, you know, it's between clear the lane, which was a, a, hip hop song about, it was just a braggadocio song. It was a, you know, just like, I am the, you know, I am most awesome. And then there was another, um, the other song was Mathematics by Most Def, which really just, you know, tore, it, it tore apart. It really broke down the drug system, the drug problem. And he used a lot of numbers and flipped a lot of, you know, like meanings on their heads and, you know, just really, really great wordplay. And then the third song was Your Revolution by Sarah Jones. And I was like, oh my God, if they pick this song, they're totally fucked up because this is a song against misogyny as one can completely see. And so then we got, you know, the, we got noticed that it was indeed Your Revolution. And so even though, at the time, like, you know, Kebu didn't understand what the song even meant, what it was even about. And so I had to explain to them, like, what was going on with that song and why it was so wrong. You know, like, it was a wrong choice not to fight this decision by the FCC and pay the fine because it was so obviously not, you know, um, inviting someone to sexually, you know, come to them. So, you know, their fine was like, you, the song, they took the verse, the revolution will not happen between these thighs and said, well, of course, you're inviting someone to be between your thighs. So so over that stint, you, you worked as, as Kebu's urban music director, I understand, from 1998 to 2018, a 20-year you know, span about. How, how did you see Hip Hop Solution of Portland change in that time? Well, what was pretty amazing was that um, I had, uh, so for the earlier part of the 2000s, my radio show had expanded from like a two hour show to like a five and a half hour show. And so in the five and a half hours, I had all the diversity of like, so I had somebody who was doing jungle music. I had somebody who was you know, we called it Beat Jeopardy. So they were doing the original samples and people were calling in to connect the sample to the music. And they were making a record at that time. So, I mean, 
if there is what working at Cape showed me and what I got to see happen um, was that when you have a platform for a certain practice or art, then it flourishes. So that's what happened. We had guys that were coming out of high school buying records that I still have, like, you know, like printing their stuff on records and uh, seeing groups like, you know, come together, not come together, you know, seeing the first performances, seeing when they're doing really good, seeing when they're getting signed. So there was really, it was a really great time that hip hop really flourished here. And it, it just, it had a, and it was a diversity to it too, you know, and I think there's, it still is, but I think there needs to be a conduit for all of the diversity that's happening in hip hop in Portland right now. Um, I don't think there is one. I think they're just gatekeepers of their own clans, but you need someone to connect all these bodies. Who are some of the, the, uh, most most notable hip hop producers in Portland. I mean, obviously we have we have at least one huge international star, but like, who are some of the other like less known names in hip hop right now? I mean, but who's the international star? Amin or Amine? If I'm saying this, yeah, it's Amine. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so Amine was. Um, I love his story because he really didn't do a lot inside of the game here. And then he really sort of got his chops. And I, I I really wish I could have interviewed him to see how that happened, but I didn't get a chance to. Um, but I mean, most Def's uh, producer, Ayatollah's out here. Rev Shines, who still does stuff for West Side Guns, is out here. You have Theoried Hazard, who I think you've had on one of your shows. Yeah. He's yeah. out here. Um Dodger was out here before they went to LA. I mean, there's a lot of folks that come through here. Declaim was out here. Count Base D lived out here for a little bit. And then, like, even if you look at the earlier, you know, performers, Louis Armstrong was out to the Northwest for a little while. So, I mean, they're, they're you know, like, there are some notable names out here. Why, why don't you think that's talked about more? I, I, I mean, I, I uh, you, you got me into Theory Hazard and uh, yeah, their their album right? still "Washing Your Hands" is amazing. It's such a great album, and you know, I, I wouldn't have heard it had I not, you know, had I not known you, who's is you know clearly in touch with the scene. Like, it's just not really written about too much. I don't, I don't feel like in. Uh, well, I think that's the problem that Portland has. Portland has a "I'm going to put my friends on only" policy, and I've never played that game because it closes doors for people. And if you're in a position where you have a platform that you can sort of pull people up on or show them on it, you can amplify them on this platform, then you need to do it. And you need to do it in a holistic way, which means you need to talk to people who might not necessarily like you, but they, you know, but you want them, you want to give them a platform, you know, or people that you don't necessarily know, but you reach out to them and say, Hey, I have this platform and I'd like to have you on it. That was one of the real cool things about, um, the radio show that I was able to do, I was able to, be, you know, bring little communities of folks together that just didn't know each other because, you know, like when you're a musician and you're working and especially a lot of these folks were in their babies, the baby, you know, they, they were just figuring it out, just figuring out how to sequence or, 
just figuring out like the way that they wanted their, you know, raps to sound like. And, you know, you, you, they're in their own world. So they don't necessarily know about these other folks, but I do because I wanted to love, like it was about Portland hip hop and Portland hip hop was the entire T of it. So yeah, I wanted to go to the North side, but I also wanted to go see what the guys on 82nd was doing. There were kids that were on, you know, doing stuff on their, um, on their reservations that were listening to the show. And so they'd send some stuff in and I play it. You know, or it, you know, folks that were, there was a whole tribe of beat makers that were in Manzanita, you know, and they really? were, yeah. Wait, hold on. Who are these beat makers in Manzanita? I'm, I'm really curious now. Um, one was called Arius and another guy's John and um, Sarah was out there. She was a throat singer, but, and they, and they made the really weird, uh, I know that Icho does it now with the speakers but they were doing not speakers, but um, like a beat maker in wood. Huh. Okay. They had started something like that. Like they, you know, they were just crazy kids out there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we'll we'll talk about that later. But yeah. <laughs> I had like yeah. I had a. They're all like that was maybe ten years ago. But yes. So another in my view, important part of creating a, a vibrant local music scene is, is having a place where you can enjoy live music and actually go, go see it live. And at least my outside perspective is that p- people promoting hip hop events face a very different reality than people promoting other kinds of music in Portland over, over the last few years. Does that, do you think well, there's some I mean, that's just been period. I think anytime you have black people gathering in Portland, um, you know, in a city that professes to, you know, want people to live their best lives or do whatever they, you know, would like to do. It's always been that if there is a group of Black people doing anything for any reason, it has been scrutinized by the city of Portland. So it's either what you would call gang task force. And that's a weird thing too here in Portland that you know, black people together creates gangs. That's crazy because a lot of black people that came here didn't come from L.A. You have a lot of black people that came from free states like Arkansas, Taft, Arkansas, you know, like they came from those places and that's where they they were here and they had the businesses and the thriving thing in Vanport. But I mean, that's the crazy thing is that anytime you want to do something and there's black people involved, there's automatically a gang element that's applied to it that's never applied to groups of white people gathering. And so they are just, you know, it was something that was pervasive really in the bar scene too. Like, you know, you can't afford to do a hip hop show because you have to pay for all of this security. You have to pay for this, you know, um, you have to pay for insurance. It's like just crazy. And it's like, you have to pay more for a hip hop show than you have to for like, say a thrash or a hardcore show. Oh, absolutely. You know there's going to be some, you yeah. know, people are thrashing, people are, you know, fucking shit up. So it's always just been really crazy to me. And now it's sort of changing. Um, and that's only because we, you know, the kids have changed. It's not Generation X. It's now these new kids that are just coming in and they are, they are not with the, they are with the shits basically, you know? And so they have the wherewithal to call stuff out 
to put it on front street, to really like ask their people what they mean when they say they want to do certain things. And so that's allowing them to do more. So in your stint at, at KBU and working radio, uh, KBU is an organization that I, I know prides itself on having a community-driven aspect to it. Were there any projects that you thought were successful at KBU that, uh, that really served a strong community organizing purpose? Yeah, I mean, KBU is... KBU is a place to go if you want to learn anything about radio broadcasting. So if you are just starting your practice and you want to learn about it, you go to KBU because KBU is going to give you real life skill. So, you know, that there's a reason why people leave KBU and then they just do great work around America, you know, that has to do with broadcasting. Were there any like uh, community engagement projects where, where you know, KPU had an initiative to, to reach out to a community and maybe stand for something that you thought went well and was effective? I mean, I, we're talking about a radio station that was a community radio station. So, I mean, just the fact that it was there and the work that they did was pretty, was pretty dope. And when you're looking at other, community places in the in, in, in the level of engagement. You know, they get 60% of their funding from the general public or from their members. And there's a reason that they are, they've been allowed to thrive and still be a strong, you know, have as strong of a signal and, and, and have the, um, and have the folks that like support them in the way that they do. As far as a community engagement, I mean, I really loved our pledge drives. I really loved the book and record sales that we had because folks weren't doing that. Folks, you know, like it was a place for you to recycle books and records and tapes to a region of people that really collected books and records and tapes. So I love that sort of like swap I don't know that 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 ideal of swapping things around in the community or or the usefulness or recycling things. Um, so I always love those sorts of events, but I mean it's it's hard to pinpoint like say well this one event in twenty years. You know I I'm looking at the totality of what I did and and just the actual establishment itself. Right, that foundation's good. In a lot of ways, it's a lot more powerful to point to an institution like KBU that's been been doing things like that out of habit, as opposed to just like a one-off program, at one dot in time. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the KBU has established itself as a community institution. It's a community center for the love of God. We don't have many of those, and we don't really have many of those that are centered around, um, like podcasting and you know, broadcasting and music, uh, programming and news. Like we don't have that sort of, we don't, where, where's that institution in any of the other cities around here? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it's really matched. Uh, changing gears slightly. You did an interview on the lost rhetoric podcast where you talked at length about black spirituality, which I I really enjoyed. And I've learned a lot from personally. I'm wondering, yeah, I'm wondering uh, how has Black spirituality impacted your views on music and community organizing? 
Well, I mean, spirituality really hasn't impacted my views on community organizing, except that the church was always this place for people to get together. And that's a historical, you know, viewpoint. That's not something that I'm doing today or that I have done. Um, we've been able to go from the church and go into community centers and living rooms. And, you know, we, we have, we have, now we can gather in offices and talk about things. So, you know, for me, spirituality doesn't really, spirituality doesn't really enter the fray for me, except when I look at some of the viewpoints, some of the attitudes of some of the kids which of course, you know, relates for me inside their music. So the music has really changed. Um, I remember I was talking to um, Jason about Afro punk and how that was really good because, you know, I was one of those kids that was in the hood and, you know, I was into gothic witchy shit and people didn't understand it. They thought it was Satanism and it was weird and now it's not weird. It's something that we've embraced. Um, the black culture. And I love that. Um, and also just to clarify, when I say I see, I, you know, the culture has embraced something, it's entered the lexicon, it's entered black pop culture. It's something that we can now, like, I can set, I can, there's, there's visceral, uh, like examples to use. Right. So um, that's what I mean by that. But I mean, for me, it's really about there's always a callback inside of black music that's happening. And I really love that um, because it just, it, it shows longevity, you know, like these new, these new producers are like, they're calling back to stuff that they saw as children in the eighties and nineties. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's a like a tagline would be um, there's one there's one producer and um, he goes by Pierre and he's um, he's done so many of these new rap songs and his tagline is like a door creaking. It's like, yo, Pierre, you want to come out here? And there's a door creaking. So that's the tagline he puts on top of all of his hip hop songs. So, you know, he's the producer. Well, I'm trying to figure out where that's from. And come to figure out that's from Jamie Foxx show. That's when Jamie Foxx, yeah, was tricking this guy who was blind and who was tricking him. He had opened a restaurant. He he was tricking the guy into thinking that he was this French chef, that he had a French chef. And so the guy's like tasting the food. It's a comedy. He's like, this is terrible. And Jamie Foxx, who at the time, remember, he was known for doing all of his impressions and stuff. Sure. Yeah. So he comes out and he says, oh, what's wrong? And the guy's like, this food's terrible. He's like, no, no. Our chef's from France. He's like, yo, Pierre, you want to come out here? And then he mimics the door opening. That's where it comes from. (laughs) That's a great example of, of a callback. So when I'm able to look at that and say, oh, my God, this guy, this is where he got it. Like these kids are saying, we saw you. Which, which to your point earlier around, uh, you know, being being a part of of, of a community and, and like you know respecting what came before you. It sounds like that's something that's really really important to you is is you know being being not just off in your own island, but being being a part of something wider. 
Well, I mean, I was, yeah, raised in community radio. That's like, that's the, everything that I do now has a community bent to it. It has a, it has a community lens that's applied to it automatically. Um, I think that there's, there's also for me as hip hop gets older, um, we've lost so many of our, you know, hip hop stars because once you're older and you broke, you don't have those amenities for healthcare. You know, if you spend all your money, you don't have any money to live on. And let's be clear, like the, you know, hip hop has not entered the lexicon of, you know, of like music. Like there's no way that Mick Jagger at 57 would be in the same, you know, situation that Biz Marquis was in. Right. Sure. Yeah. Because no way the industry would be like, no way, you know? And so, um, you know, Fife Dog, uh, Jay Dilla, G-Shock, uh, just, you know, losing these folks because they don't have the same amenities, although they put the same work in because hip hop is still not recognized by the industry. And these people who've given their life to this, you know, to this art and this practice are, are left to the wolves after they're done. It is wild to think about. I mean, hip hop's overtaken rock as the number one music worldwide in the last few years. And you're right. I mean, it is, it is wild to see the inequities in a lot of the, that's right. The, the way that these music contracts are structured and just our, our economy is, is structured. Um, yeah. It's, it's really it's still industry. It's still the industry. You know, I was just mentioning this to someone and then someone decided they were going to mansplain the whole thing to me. And, you know, they were like, well, you know, you have to make sure that you have a legitimate label. And I'm like, well, that's kind of bullshit because you have labels like Rockus that were the reason why Black Star and Most Def, right? Talib Kweli and um, the sound bombing, all of that. That is from Rockus, but is Rockus a legitimate label because it's not a Columbia, you know? Yeah. That doesn't like, seem where, like where your, where your rules at. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so for me, it's like, you know, we need, you know, we need that's, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm no, I'm not a spring chicken. And so when I see these people that I really like, I, I, they were legit stars, you know, <laughs> Um, I really enjoy their art and their music. And I, I know a lot of people do too, to this day, because I play it right. And they enjoy it and I'm paid to play it. So to see these people die to the clauses that they do, it's sad. Going back to what you had said earlier about you want to make sure your, your current efforts are all, all have a community focus. You know, what, what are some of the projects you're working on right now that are in that category? Well, I'm working with you on Rhythm Nation. Um, I'm also doing My People's Market, which is in a market that's, um, and that's going to be on August 8th. That's a market that is, you know, all Black and BIPOC people, um, all Black and POC um, folks. And I'll be playing records there. Um You'd mentioned the the lack of of healthcare is among these titans in hip hop as being a real kind of moral issue. 
and here this weekend we're doing an a event themed after medical care for all to, to guarantee healthcare as, as a human right. You know, what, what do you think the music community stands to, to gain from something like that? Well, here's the thing is that Medicare for all just ensures that they're able to have healthcare and that you don't, you know, like it's, it's, it's just, it's really an important thing. You know, like these, these um, people are dying from lupus and diabetes, you know, these are preventable disease. These are diseases that are treatable and they are preventable. And me feeling like they just don't have access to that. And I mean, I think everyone should have, you know, some form of health care. It's a completely crazy thing to think that, you know, a hospital can you can very badly hurt yourself and a hospital can deny you um, because you don't have health coverage. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild to see these, these studies out there that indicate that, you know, upwards of 70,000 people in America die every year because of lack of health coverage and you know, f- somewhere I between 50. Diabetes is so the medicine, the, you know, insulin is so expensive. Like, you know, I'm not even stars, but I have friends that are, you know, they're like, well, do I get groceries or do I get this? It, like, it's an insane thing. Like, you know, and it, it's more than the healthcare too. It's, it happens with these pharmaceutical companies in a way we've been able to have them like sort of, you know, say, say what the prices are going to be or what things are going to cost. And it's in, it's the inflation is, isn't, is insane. Yeah, I think one of the big arguments of Medicare for All is having a big negotiating block to negotiate those prices down. I mean, you look at, you mentioned insulin. Why is the cost of insulin 10 times more expensive here in the United States than Canada? Well, you know, Canada has a single-payer healthcare system. They get to negotiate them down pretty hard to the to pretty close to cost, whereas, you know, we, we don't here. Uh, yeah, I mean, and that's the nefarious thing, too, is that these health these pharmaceutical companies like that is a part of their mission statement, right? You're making these drugs so that we have a better place, but not only are you, you know, the, 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 you know, the pricing for it is way out of, out of proportion, you know, but like you don't, you limit the accessibility per what you're doing with, you know, health coverage. So it's kind of insane. Well, on a lighter note, possibly, you put together a playlist of, of songs that have inspired you as a musician and an activist. Um, tell me about them. I want to want to hear like the, the things that have inspired you through the years. All right, so I started with I'm going to start with Jack of Spades by um, BDP Harris One. Why I love Jack of Spades is that it uses uh, a JB's uh, sample that just is so clutch. And then it's really like, it's it's a really great song. And then musically, just the whole setup is just insane. And then the message, which is all about like the forgotten black man, which is like, you forgot us, you know. It's talking about how everybody gets paid, everybody gets their part, except for the Jack of Spades. What about the Jack of Spades? The Black. Man. I ain't buying it. You seem to think that everybody can be taught, that everyone else. 
And then the other one I'll put in is um, the second one is Shut Them Down by Public Enemy. What I really like about Public Enemy is the way that they structured their songs. So there's a there's a there's a uh, a documentary that I saw that talked about how they made their songs to sound like the city. So it's noisy, it's urgent, there's sirens. And then they back that up with these lyrics that are, they're not really saying things, they're declaring, they're declarations of what needs to happen. And so Shut Them Down is just sort of like a really perfect mix of all of those things that I like about Public Enemy. And the third one um, will be um, Little Ghetto Boy by Dr. Dre. Um, and that one, uh, when Dr. Dre came out, he was all about partying and whatnot. But like he, when he, when he took on a subject, he took on a subject, right? And so Little Ghetto Boy. Um, that was an old soul song, and um, it was really not even about social justice for others. It was a song for the black man. Wake up, jumped out my bed. I'm in a two-man cell with my homie, little half dead. Murder was the case that they gave me. Dear God, I wonder, can you save me? I'm only 18, so I'm a young buck. It's a ride if I don't scrap, I'm getting stuck. But that's the life of a G, I guess. Essays way deep, shank doing the chest. Um, so I can go also go forward. Anything off of the Wolves album by Dead Prez. Dead Prez was able to really sort of like in an academic in an academics way, like just break down each, you know, um, break down systemic racism, how that works out. And they used a lot of analogies uh, that people in the street could understand. And so any of those, you know, any of those, uh, any of those songs on that, I mean, you need to get that entire record. That entire record will make it quite real for you. And stick the handle in the ice so that only the, the, the blade is protruded. And that a wolf will smell the blood and wants to eat. And it'll come and lick the blade trying to eat. And what happens is when the, when the wolf licks the blade, of course, uh, he cuts his tongue and he bleeds. And he thinks he's really having a good thing. He drinks and he licks and he licks. And of course, he's drinking his own blood and he kills himself. And then uh, Run the Jewels. Run the Jewels is one of my favorite groups. LP is always has his eye on the dystopian future. And then he got with Killer Mike, who is a monster. He's a monster. And so I really love Killer Mike's delivery. He is 
He's a preacher. I used to love her is a song about the progression of hip hop. So what he's talking about when he says he used to love her, he's talking about hip hop. So he's talking about what happened to hip hop. So like how hip hop used to be street and then it got really esoteric and it was about Africa and you know, and then like how it turned itself out. And so he's talking about hip hop and what the industry did to hip hop. And it's just a really great song. Not about the money, those stuffs was my checker, but I respected her. She hit me in the heart. A few New York niggas had dinner in the park. But she was there for me, and I was there for her. Pull out a chair for her, turn on the air for her, and just cool out. Cool out and listen to her. Sitting on bone, wishing that I could do eventually if it was. Let's go to this year. We can go with the Anderson Pock lockdown. Lockdown really, for me, painted a picture of where we were last year. That album came out. That song came out in the middle of the, you know, of the whole thing that happened in Minneapolis. And, you know, the fact that we were COVID, it was happening, but at the same time we were out and we were marching and um, being active. And it's also one of Anderson Pack's first times that he got political. And I kind of love when that happens, right? I mean, any anybody inside of Black music, there is a point where they have to actually say where they're coming from. And it's sad that it happens, but this is when that happens. Unemployment rate, what? 40 million now, killed a man in broad day. Might never see a trial. We just want to break chains like slaves in the South. Started in the North End, but we in the downtown. Riot cops try to block, now we got a showdown. Down. And then I want to go backwards, get involved. And that wasn't Tribe, but they were all peoples from Tribe. That was Raphael Sadiq and Q-Tip. During that time that the song came out, it was like the late 90s, early 2000s. And um, it's a skate, it's like a roller dance song. Um, but really, it's about like, you know, for me, it was like a dance song that was really like a call to action, even though I don't know if it is when I like if I looked up the lyrics or whatever. But it for me, I, I used that as a call to action. Folks. That was one of, my, one of my little jams. I, I want to interject and ask you a little follow up question to that. So. Well, you know what we're doing Saturday. It's it's like a little bit new to a lot of folks. This idea of like coming for some jams, but also getting involved. You know, what, what would you say to somebody who wants to keep their politics separate from their nightlife entertainment? There's no way if you're not if you're listening to black music. There's no way it's happening. And so I say to people like, you know, I I don't know what's like. That's a weird question because. If you're coming to see people play dance music or any music that has any sort of relation to black life, 
there's gonna be politics involved. I've never heard an entire set that didn't have something about the amplifications of black people. Are there any other songs you want to go through? Um, Rhapsody. Like she made a she made an out al- her album is called um, Eve. And every one of them is a song that is named after a black woman. So when you look at the titles, the titles are Nina, Chloe, Aaliyah, Oprah, Whoopi, Serena, Tyra, Maya, Afini's in here, Iman, Sojourner, Michelle. I love it. So she is one of the best female rappers. She's up there with Queen Latifah. So Kendrick Lamar Duckworth. Yeah, and I mean like Duckworth is a song about two guys meeting each other and not realizing if like one night there was a fateful thing that was supposed to happen and if that didn't happen what could have happened. So it's just the storytelling and that is so beautiful. Just to remind you, sweetheart, that my Oh Lamar, Hail Mary, you never one of times is hard. Pray with the hooligan, shadows all in the dark. Fellowship with demons and relatives, I'm a star. Life is one funny motherfucker. A true comedian, you gotta love him. You gotta trust him. I might be bugging. Infomercials and no sleep. And then the other one I'll put in is um Pain by De La Soul. Do you have any more questions? Any clarifiers that I? We talked about like the negative response to uh, community activism and, and music together, but what are the what are the positives that you see? Like, like what what do you what should excite people about going to an event where both things happen? Where like the vision of a tribe called Quest song, like it can be a jam and stand for something, and you can get involved. Like what? Why should people be excited about that? Well, I mean, whenever I'm playing out, um, I'm all I'm I'm always gonna drop in tunes that are to amplify women, or you know, that are you know, just sort of like a commentary on the political landscape, and a lot of times there's these collective moments that happen when you're out and you're dancing that everybody at the same time understands one thing right and they celebrate that. there is a collective moments that happen when people are all together celebrating for a cause everyone clicks in that yeah this is the direction we're going in and that's a good feeling that that only happens when people are dancing together you know like so I, I, I like that. I, I am also someone who goes to dance floors for that same kind of unity ex- experience. And I, I believe that it can be experienced on a deeper level if there's at least more explicit political content there. So that's, that's what we're trying to... And that's the thing. That's the thing. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I can, I do that. Like where we're like, I can play Ain't No Holler, Ain't No Holler Batgirl. And I do that for women because if you're dancing and you're feeling yourself and you get a song to empower you, they go nuts. And I get that call and response back to me, you know? So it's not, and I do that because I, I want to parse out these moments because a lot of dance music 
you know, especially like if it's hip hop now, um, you know, the trap stuff, it's like male, it's, it's, it's aggressive, it's subjecting women. So I want to sneak those moments in there where it's like, nah, we're the shit, you know? Women catch that vibe. You know, and I, I mean, I, that's how I approach when I'm, turn, when I'm DJing, I want to have those moments for them. I want to pull them in. Right. I don't want to smack them over their heads. So they should be twerking on walls and stuff all night. You know, there's times and places for that too, but I also want to amplify them. Thank you so much Dina, for your time on this show, but also just for for going with me on this, this experiment in Rhythm Nation. You, you've been a really inspirational person to, to work with. Where, where can listeners find you and your work? Um, I am working on my website today, and that should be up shortly. But um, right now, like all of the, I've done some um, mixes for school. That's about Black Life. I've done some mixes for open signal that are up and i've done some mixes for uh dig a pony especially like a love story to black folks especially during the george floyd thing that was happening just not even enjoyed like that whole thing so um you can go to mixcloud uh I, everything that's under the soundbox pdx is mine so you should be able to well, I'll put those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for, for talking through this. I, I really enjoyed hearing your jams and your story. Well, thank you for inviting me, Peter. 